All right, we are finishing our study in 1 Peter today. 1 Peter 5 is our text, and we'll be reading the last three verses, 12 through 14. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome, Welcome to Regeneration. I haven't seen you guys in a little bit. Glad to see you too. If you're new here, just to let you guys know, we kind of go through books of the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so uh, some of you may be wondering where we're heading next, or maybe you're assuming that we're going to be going to Second Peter. And we aren't. Actually, we're going to be heading into the book of Nehemiah. We're going to return to Second Peter, but there's a reason why we're going to Nehemiah, and I've actually been reserving this book of Nehemiah for when we purchase this property, which that decision was made not to last year. Instead, we decided to invest our funds into staffing and brought on Steve as an associate pastor and brought on a couple people from Pace to work with the youth ministry. We just thought that that was the more important thing to do was to invest into the community and to our church and to the people. So we decided not to do that. But there are some really exciting things happening at Regen where I think this is a very relevant book for us to go into. And for you to find out about that, go to the celebration meeting, March 21st. There will be a unveil there. But in the meantime, as we're ramping up for that meeting, we're going to start into that book of Nehemiah, and I'm super excited. I've been studying these past two, three weeks in the book of Nehemiah already, just trying to kind of prep my stuff for that. You know, one of the most difficult things is just kind of that initial prep of breaking down what you're going to study, because the staff kind of needs to know what's going on and what direction we're going. So I have to break down this whole book into like chunks Anyway, it's all done, and and we're going to move forward, and so next week we're starting that. And so here we have our last study together in 1 Peter, and let me just open us up in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your servant, Peter, who has just shown us so much. And we ask God that we would be able to carry out these lessons, these things that we've learned from Peter's letter into our lives, that it's not just something that we know about or something that we've been convicted of, but something that we can carry on and actually enact in our everyday lives. And so, Father, we ask for your Spirit to be here to fill this place and to speak to your church in Jesus' name. Amen. Last study, kind of sad, bittersweet type of thing, because I really love this character of Peter. No one in the Bible has had more conversations with Jesus than Peter that are recorded, right? This is just a guy that we can all relate to because so many mistakes and yet comes back and Jesus invites him back again and looks for him again. What we have here in Peter's letter is essentially a postscript, like a PS. You know, when you guys write that from the main body of your message and then you write PS, you know, like in your high school yearbooks, you know, you wrote all these little things like have a good summer and uh, I'll miss the way you make me laugh or like, you know, those times you've been a great friend and, you know, all those little messages you write. And then occasionally there's the PS, K-I-T, right? Like the keep in touch and who you, you never keep in touch with anybody. Anyway, so here we have Peter's PS and the main part of his letter concluded actually in verse 11. I mean, he put amen. I mean, that's the end of everything, right? Like, amen. 
And you're, you're done, right? Amen. And the thing with PSs, though, is they contain really important messages within them, right? Like uh, when you write this letter and then at the very end, like, P.S., I love you. But then sometimes you get these messages where they're not what you intended it to be, like this slide here where this guy is texting back and forth with this girl, and then it doesn't come across the way that you thought. So... Here we have Peter's P.S. And he's saying, I love you. But not like this guy. He's kind of bringing across to us like a final message. And the main words I want us to bring out of this within this P.S. are these three words. Grace, love, and peace. All contained within these verses here. And so we're just going to start in verse 12. Keep in mind those three words there. Grace, love, and peace. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. So just a little background information about who Silvanus was. This is probably Silas, the Apostle Paul's companion on several of his missionary journeys. And if this indeed was that Silas, which I think it was, then he was a Jew who was a Roman citizen just like Paul. Right, So he had these rights about him and traveling wasn't going to be as hard. He had the same rights as a Roman citizen. And you can read about this character in Acts chapter 15 through 17. To Peter, Silvanus was a faithful brother. And how great of a commendation would that be to be known as a faithful brother? Especially from a guy like Peter. The stature that he has, the reputation that he has in the church to be known as a faithful brother, to be known by anyone who was encouraged by you in their relationship with Jesus would be just a magnificent thing. And to just think back in your life, who has been a faithful brother or sister to you? Who have you been a faithful brother or sister to? People who have really helped you in your spiritual walk with God or where you have helped them. Because the thing is, we all know that we can't stand alone. And Pastor Steve's messages in these past two weeks address that about community. And we can't do this alone. Peter couldn't do it alone. And we need each other for this sharpening and to be together in that men's retreat that just happened this past weekend or is still happening right now. It was so great to have that 30 guys there and then I think it was 400 plus guys that were all there from churches in our association. And it was just a really great time to see faithful brothers there. Back to verse 12 here. Exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Now, what was Peter referring to when he wrote, this is the true grace of God? Well, he's referring to his letter. That 100 plus verses that we've just studied in the past, I think it was five or six months. That's what he's referring to as the true grace of God. Do you notice that? Of God? Do you notice who credited the grace to be sourced from? It's of God. He's the source of grace. What Peter has written to us in these five chapters weren't just theories about Christian living. Peter wrote about this practical application of the Christian life because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. These aren't just a bunch of theories. Look back to the beginnings of the first chapter in First Peter. The end of verse 2 to be exact. It says this, May grace 
and peace be multiplied to you. And Peter started with the grace of God. He ended with the grace of God. It's kind of the book ends to his letter, and his letter is all about the grace of God. Do you know how gracious God has been to you? You look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is the true grace of God. That's the true grace of God. It's not about religion. It's not about going to church on Sunday. What you're doing as much as it is as God's desire to have a relationship, a communion, a connection with you and what He has already done for you. By God's grace, you have been given a living hope and inheritance through Jesus. Do you know this this morning? That you have been saved, you have been born again through Jesus if you have faith that He did that. And if you don't really know that, you probably aren't sharing with people who don't know Jesus. Because you can't share what you don't know. And perhaps some of you do know, but you haven't experienced the grace of God in your life, so it's all in your head, but it hasn't transformed your life to the point that you need to share this good news of grace in your life. When you experience something good, you tend to want to share it, right? For those of you who are engaged or are married, when you got engaged, you shared that good news. You did. When you were going to have a baby, you shared that good news. You didn't keep it to yourself. When you got accepted into that institution of higher learning that you worked so hard to get into, when you got that job that you hoped that you would get, you share that good news. You share good news all the time. What about the good news of the grace of God who gifted you all those things? You and I share good news all the time. What about the good news of the Gospel? I think some may not share the good news because they really haven't experienced it. They haven't felt it. They haven't sensed it. I think some may not share the good news simply because of that. You know it in your head. But it's not the living news in your life. And I think there's a fair amount of us who believe the first part of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. We believe this. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. I think there's a lot of us here that believe that. I think the part that many of us have difficulty experiencing and living in is the second part of that verse, right here in verse 24. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. I think that's the difficult part. Very difficult to do, right? Die to sin, live to righteousness. Thank God for His grace. Because look at the third part of that verse there. It says, by His wounds you have been healed. The grace of God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 
the grace of God. Now let me give you some verses about the grace of God. And if you're taking notes, you can just jot these things down. But what I'm going to encourage you to do, you can look at them on the screen, or if not, just kind of close your eyes and absorb these verses that God has for you. And you can just kind of close your eyes and just kind of take them in, because I'm going to read several verses about God's grace for you. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Think about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4-8. through 8. Just pause and listen to these words. You've, you can read them there, just however you can absorb these words. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Just little glimpses of the true grace of God. One more to meditate on and to think about and to pause and to absorb. But with this one, I want you to insert your name whenever you see you or whenever I say you. Put your name in there, okay? Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, insert your name. And Albert who once was alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present Steve holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed, Scott, continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that August heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, become a minister. The true grace of God. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, to stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. 
In order to stand firm in the true grace of God, you have to know what it is. You have to believe it. You have to live it. This is not kind of just fabricated in your head, but you have to live it in such a way that you identify with the true grace of God by experiencing the true grace of God. What's so gracious about the true grace of God if that's not something you and I can produce on our own? It's not something that I produce on my own. That's not grace. That's just my works. But this is a gift. Now, here's a distinctive of Christianity. God came to us. This is a distinctive of Christianity. Jesus came to us. It's not a work-based relationship that we have with God. We are not saved by our good works, but we were created for good works. It's a really distinct thing between religions. Because other religions, you have to work towards something to please God, or you have to bring something to please God, right? You have to bring something to the table here. Here, Christianity, Jesus comes to us. We don't do anything. We're not saved by those things. But we are created for good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we don't earn our way to God by our good works. God's grace did all that work for us. We simply live in that finished work of Jesus, and we were created for good works. You and I can't do a thing to earn our way to God. Can't do a thing. He did it all. He did everything. You don't have to worry. It's so freeing. You don't have to worry about whether you've done enough to earn the love of God. You have it. He did it. He did it. So He loves you. He's not expecting you. That's why Jesus died for you because we can't earn our way to God. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't put effort into our relationship with Him. And it doesn't mean that we don't do good works because we were created for good works. There's effort in those things. Not toward the earning of God's love, but in that just simply being who He has created us to be. You are perfect in the eyes of God because of Jesus. Jesus did everything necessary for you and me as sinners who have rejected God by our very own nature. He's done everything for us to have this relationship with Holy God. We are justified by faith, not works, and our relationship with God is only possible through Jesus' work on the cross. And that's not to say there's nothing for us to do. There's a ton for us to do. How many of us are 100% like Jesus? And so here's this word that I'm going to throw out, sanctification. Right? Sanctification. Essentially, it's our journey to be more like Jesus. Where our character continues to grow into our status that we have already in Jesus. That we're being sanctified. For those of us who have been justified by faith in Jesus, we're righteous in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. But that doesn't mean that we are the epitome of Christ's likeness. See, we're all varying degrees of Christ's likeness. We're still all sinners and we're all on this journey of sanctification where our character is catching up to the status that we have 
as children of God. We are being conformed more and more into His image. Now part of me, as I've shared with you, is I'm kind of bummed that we're not going to Second Peter right away because this letter that Peter has is just something really, really great. And I just need to point one thing out of Second Peter before we move forward because I just think that a lot of people are being misled. And I need to share these verses with you. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Guys, I love you, and I just need to warn you of false prophets among us, among our church, among the global church, among just Christendom. And I need to also warn you against me to always check what is being said by me, from anybody else, that you always check what people say to the Word of God. Always. Doesn't matter who it is. Because there's a lot of stuff out there that's going to lead you astray. That is going to make you think differently. And the thinking is fine. Now, I don't say this out of fear. I don't say this because I'm fearful of what's out there. I say it because Peter wrote 2 Peter verses 1-3 through for us. The Spirit revealed it to Peter that we'd be dealing with this sort of stuff in our world. And we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We'll return to 2 Peter some other time, but I just needed to make that plug for 2 Peter. Let's go to verse 13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. So what is Peter referring to when he wrote, she who is at Babylon? Well, this is in reference to the church, she, in the church in Rome. Babylon. So you read Revelation 17 and 18, and some read this and they think this as Babylon, as the one in Mesopotamia, but that's not how church history interprets Babylon here. Church tradition, church history has traditionally interpreted this to be in reference to Rome. And then continue on in verse 13. And so does Mark, my son. Now many believe that this is the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, who many believe that Peter was Mark's primary source of information when he wrote the Gospel of Mark, the biography of Jesus. This is the Mark that we find in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 15. Someone who was really close with Peter as evidenced by Peter addressing Mark as, My son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. The key word here is love. Okay? I, I just need to throw that out there because many others kind of go to something else in there. The key word there is love. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So the important matter within this verse is love, which never changes. The love never changes. The expression of love is different depending on your context. That's a little different. Greet one another with the kiss of love. For those of you who are in the Define Date class, Carol asked me 
to share in next week's dating class because the next class is a class entitled Define Kiss. And so for the 40 of you who are going to be in that class next Sunday, I will give you the PG-13 version of what I'm going to share right now. Right now we're going to share rated G because, you see, you should have signed up for that class and you would have got something more exciting. But anyway, this is something that I think we should just kind of briefly look over because we have the occasional freaky guy that needs to hear this, quite frankly. And you know who you are, freaky guy. When Peter wrote this, it was customary in that culture for a rabbi's disciple to kiss him on the cheek. Like It's a customary thing. Now for some of you who I have a discipleship relationship with, this is not an invitation for you to kiss me on the cheek. Don't do that. <laughs> this is an oriental custom of the Middle East, and I realize I am Asian, but I don't like it. So don't kiss me. I'm a germaphobe, so even shaking hands is actually really hard for me, but I do it. And I do the occasional hug thing or the fist bump thing. I do those types of things, but I cannot imagine someone putting their skin on my face. Ew. And especially those of you that like to leave like a saliva trail. This was a custom that Jews were really familiar with, right? Luke 22, verses 47 through 48. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? A very normal occurrence between a teacher and their disciple. It's a normal thing. And this custom carried over to the early Christian church as many of the early followers were of Jewish background and from cultures in the region where this was customary. Well, this greeting got defiled by some in the church, as you can imagine. And so it changed from men and women greeting one another with a kiss to having only this greeting occur with only the same gender in the 4th century. And then it changed to no kissing in the 13th century. So that's kind of the history of this greeting with a kiss. So don't do it with me. Please just leave it. Now, in our cultural context, what do we do? We shake hands. We do the fist bump thing. We do the, hey, the, the hug thing like this. The guys do the, like that, that stuff. And, and if you're closer to a person, that's what you do. You do the hug thing, right? You're, if you're closer to them. Rarely do we kiss one another in our cultural context unless you're part of that culture that does that within an American context, right? So last week I was in Southern California, and one of the reasons I was there was I was attending my one-year-old niece's first birthday. Well, my sister married a Filipino guy who has sisters, and those sisters have daughters, and they have a mom, and they have female cousins. My maternal side is all from Mexico, so they were all there too. And so I have a lot of aunts and a lot of female cousins. Needless to say, lots of women, and when we greet with one another, we greet with a kiss. That's what we do, even though I don't like it, but I do it. Now, not something that I do outside of that context, but in there, I roll with it. When I went to Russia to teach at a Bible school, guys kissed me when they greeted me. And I was uncomfortable. I'm just not used to it. Not in my cultural context, but when I got there, I started kissing them. Like, all right, when in Russia, like, you know, that's what you do. And when I was in Kenya, 
You don't kiss. You handshake. And if you don't handshake, it's extremely rude. If you don't handshake, it's extremely rude. So you do the handshake. So the important aspect to take away from this verse is love. Love. How that's expressed may be different from a kiss. It may be a handshake. It may be a fist bump. It may be a hug. The thing is that love is timeless. Verse 14, peace to all of you who are in Christ. You can only experience true peace in Christ. Why is that? Because only Jesus justifies you before Almighty God. He's the only one. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can't have it any other way. Now, how will this peace be present in us? Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love this little slogan. I wish I came up with it myself. But have you guys seen this thing where it says, no God, no peace, with a K-N-O-W? And then it says, no God, no peace, with an N-O? I think that's brilliant. It is really true. No God, no peace. No God, no peace. And there are so many people thinking that peace can be found without God, and there's just no way. There's no way. How can anyone experience true peace if they aren't at peace with Creator God? The Creator of the universe planned to send His only Son, Jesus, to redeem you from your sins because sin has enslaved you and kept you separated from God. You are already separated from God. But on top of that, you reject Jesus' death on the cross for you. How can you be at peace with God if you reject God? You can't be at peace with Him. If you reject your sin and your need for a Savior... You cannot be at peace with God. And therefore, you can't experience peace. It's not possible. All of human history can attest to this. When has the world ever experienced peace? When we have peace with God, we'll experience the peace of God. Until we are all at peace with God, we'll continue to live without peace of God. You just can't have it. Look at the latter part of verse 14 again here as we close First Peter. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, you notice the condition here. Who are in Christ. It's not peace to all. There's a condition. There's no promise of peace for those outside of Christ. It says peace to all who are in Christ. No Christ, no peace. No Christ, no peace. Are you in Christ this morning? It's not about being in church. It's about being in Christ. Are you in Christ? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. Has your life been changed by Jesus? Now, if you say yes to those questions, share it. Share that good news with people who don't know this. Now, if you say no, please know this. God loves you. He loves you. And He wants to give you peace. But peace outside of Him is impossible. 
Receive Jesus. Repent of your sins this morning. Acknowledge by faith that Jesus has justified you of your sins. Ask him to change you, and he will, because he's gracious, and he loves you, and he wants to give you peace. That's Peter's PS message to you. He's really generous with grace, love, and peace. But none of this is accessible without Jesus. If you don't know him, all three of those things could be yours. They're yours. If you do know him and you aren't experiencing this, because I know some of you are not experiencing this grace, love, and or peace from God. It's time for you to examine your relationship with God and what's going on. What's going on there that you aren't experiencing grace, love, and peace, even though you are a follower of Jesus, but something's not connecting there. And so the first thing I invite you to do is come up for prayer. We want to pray for you. We want to walk this journey with you and find out what is causing this disconnect between you and God. Now, if you don't have faith in Jesus at all, then you know what's disconnecting you from God. But if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you're still not experiencing grace, love, peace, let's start with praying. He's going to reveal it to you. I know it. I know it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your servant Peter and just his P.S. message to us, Lord. Grace, love, and peace. So appreciative of kind of that last message that he has for us. And Lord, would you be with those in our church today that are not experiencing grace, love, or peace with you? I pray, God, that you would make it known to them that through your spirit, Lord, that you would minister to their hearts exactly where they're at. I pray that you would give the ability to our church just to be sensitive, to have listening ears, to be present in people's discouragement, in their hurts and their pains and just how things aren't working out for them the way that they thought. We ask that you would grant us patience, that you would grant us the ability to extend love, to be able to be an encouragement even outside of our own comfort levels or abilities. We ask that you would bless everyone here, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.